The deal is not just what's on paper, but it's also how it's going to affect your lifestyle. I mean, do I want to be worrying about the new owner, how they're running the business for two years when I no longer have any control, you know, and they're holding back a considerable amount of money? That's something where I've got to like the buyer. I've got to trust them. You're listening to Deal Closers, brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com, a show about how to build your e-commerce business to be profitable, scalable, and one day, even sellable. I'm Jason Gillikin, and on the show today, Website Closers' Brian Tempain and I talked to someone who got into e-commerce because he wanted to change his lifestyle and stop making other people money. According to Grandview Research, the global sports nutrition and dietary supplement space is a whopping $152 billion, yes, billion with a B. If a company could get one hundredth of 1% of that market, not 1%, not one-tenth of 1%, just one hundredth of 1%, that company would have $15.2 million in sales. Let's keep that in mind as we bring on our guest today. He didn't want us to use his real name, so we're gonna call him Mike. Mike was at a spot in his career where he needed something different, and the idea of working for someone again, well, that didn't really work for him. Because I've been fired from every job I've ever had. I don't, I, I, I don't like collaborative work environments. I, don't, I, I've, I've, I prefer a dictatorship. I'm only half joking. But yeah, I, I, I've always preferred to live and die by my own decisions. I'll happily re- regret the bad ones and take the wins on the good ones. And I've, yeah, I, I don't like dealing with other people's stuff, good or bad. Mike had worked in TV throughout his career. And although it felt glamorous at times, it could also be pretty exhausting. There was a lot of travel, but I have two young kids and travel when you're doing it for somebody else is not as fun when you're doing it for yourself. And I thought, well, what can I do that ticks a lot of those boxes? I guess that a lot of guys and girls my age are looking for that financial freedom, you know, and it distilled down to sell something physical. I wanted obviously to have reoccurring revenue while I was asleep. It was all that kind of classic Tim Ferriss stuff that we all read and listen to that we all want to be. And that happened to coincide with this idea that I, I wanted to move towards a, a more of a vegan kind of diet. So I started shopping around in stores for products, good quality protein powders. And I realized from my background in food that as much as they all said they're clean, none of them really were. And I thought, gee, there might be something here. So I called up a few kind of co-packers and formulating companies, and they were very responsive. In a way, that first call was, always, it was the scariest because you know, you don't want to come off like an idiot, which I was, but they're all very helpful and all very, you know, looking forward to help somebody like me out. And I thought, well, you know, this is a minimum outlay to get into the supplements business on one product, five grand. I can afford to lose five grand. And one area where I drew some confidence against it is that in television, you're really, you know, you're, it's, it's, a, it's marketing, you're selling, but your product is emotion. And I thought, well, a lot of that's probably applicable to this but I'm selling a physical product, but you're still ultimately selling a mindset and a goal and a feeling, certainly a result. So I found that a lot of the skills carried over, you know, a lot of the graphics, a lot of the writing, a lot of storytelling around the brand. And so I I liked that space. So weirdly, it didn't seem like a big risk, probably because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of failure. You know, I, I, I have a bit of a personal adage that I, in life, I tend to run towards the things I'm scared of because they're the things that bring you the most joy once you pass them. So yeah, I, I'm okay with a bit of failure. Now, how did you even know how to contact like a co-packer? Like that, that doesn't seem easy to do. Yeah. Google, you know, okay. private, private label manufacturer, this, that, and the other. And 
I called a few and, and frankly, I ended up landing on, until to this day, even this was my case when I met Brian, is, is I just let my gut tell me. Frankly, a large part of it is, is who has the patience to talk to you? Who, who genuinely, do you genu- get a genuine sense that they're willing to invest an hour of speaking to you, asking very naive questions? And that's enough for me. And I found the right guy for me. And uh, yeah, th- that was it. It's just, can I work with you? Yeah. Yeah. I imagine you had to be like, I don't know what questions to be asking here, but I'm just going to start start asking and, and see where it goes. Um, yeah. What? Okay. So when you were looking at the supplements, the vegan supplements, and you said the, the ingredients weren't great, like what were you talking about there? Like what, what, what's in it that's, you know, it's, it's all vegan. So the, the thought is that it's probably fine, but you knew that it wasn't healthy. Why? Well, I think for any of your listeners that are familiar with the supplement space, they'll know there's, there's good and there's bad, but most of it's this gray middle area where the ingredients aren't really bad, but they're not necessarily clean. So for me, I was looking for things that you've probably read a million times, like xanthan, lecithin, guire gum. These are additives that don't hurt you, but they don't, in my opinion, constitute a really clean product. So even forms of sugar, you know, stevia and other sweetening agents, I thought, well, I really wanted to build a product that was legitimately clean. And if you want to add something sweet um, or something to, you know, make it less grainy, then I'll leave that up to you. But I wanted to be able to make a certain claim that this is the cleanest vegan protein on the market. And I, I think I delivered it. So that was really the mindset is just to offer something niche. I knew I wouldn't tick every boxes. I knew it was not going to be a home run and it was going to make me tens of millions of dollars. But I knew that it would find an audience because I thought, well, if I'd be interested in this, there's probably other people that might be. Okay. So how did you test it out? You know, you're going through these, these formulas and, and all that. Or at what point were you like, oh, this is actually pretty good? Well, we went through about 25 different formulations and 23 tasted like shit. And which I thought was fine. I mean, <laughs> I mean, at least it's it's clean. And that was the trade-off. I, I actually thought in the end, I thought, you know, the audience is going to eat this. There's an audience that actually wants to eat fruit and vegetables. So, yeah, there's so many protein powders now. You go into these stores and you see protein powders that taste like a kid's birthday cake or a chocolate donut. And I thought, this is not going to be my audience. But I only need, my mindset was always, you know, if I can get 0.001% of those three massive brands that we all know, that's enough for me. I mean, that's a living for a little guy like me with no expenses. So that was always my mindset is, is make a promise, make the promise true, like have an ingredient label that could withstand legitimate scrutiny. And that's enough. You know, is there enough brand there to, to kind of build a little business on? All right. So you're, you're ready to, uh, to launch. Tell us about that, that launch. Well, like- I maybe launched a little different to a lot of other people in that I decided to do a Kickstarter campaign. I didn't do the Kickstarter campaign because I needed the money. I mean, the, the, prime, the, the first run with packaging was, I was under 10 grand and I already had that money. I only did the, the, the Kickstarter to test the waters and you get a mailing list from it as well. And the thing with Kickstarter is probably a third of the money is your family and friends throwing you a pity bone. And, you know, here you go, Mike, here's 500 bucks. Oh, yay. You know, which is nice. You feel a bit guilty taking their money, but I, you know, you're getting feedback from people all over the world saying, I love this. I love this. I love this. I thought this is exciting. And the feedback 
I met the amount that we asked for on Kickstarter within 24 hours. Now, it wasn't much. It was only 30 grand. But I thought, this is great. You know, this is, this is fantastic. This, it's found a voice already. Uh, so for me, that was less the financial win. It was the, it was the marketing nod. People said, yeah, we, we, we like this. That's awesome. So you asked for 30 grand or you ended up getting 30 grand? I asked for 30 grand. Uh, you know, there's a minimum threshold on these Kickstarter campaigns where some of the apps, if you don't get the money, it all goes back. So I reached that threshold. So in the end, I, the Kickstarter campaign raised about 70000 which for me was just free money. And, and, and in hindsight, it's exciting because the business has never been in debt. It's never been in debt from, from that beginning day to when Brian and I sold it just a couple of months ago. I mean, it's never had a dollar's worth of debt. So it's kind of fun to be able to say that. That is really cool. And so you send the, the, the product out. You're, you're probably on pins and needles thinking like, are people actually going to like it and order again? So did they, did they start ordering again? I, the, the feedback when it was sent out was mostly positive, but when you're selling a product that is really has zero additives, zero fillers, I mean, this is not for a lot of people. There is a popular uh, cough medicine. I don't know if they have it in the States. They have it up here. It's called Benadryl. And their marketing oh, yeah. campaign is, is that it tastes like beep, but it works. <laughs> and I thought, this is my protein powder. I mean, if, if you can, I mean, it wasn't, it didn't taste like a swamp, but this was not lovely. And I found that to be very effective. I mean, I buy that specifically for my kids because I think if there's something torturous about it and they can't make it taste better, then it's, it's got to work. So I thought, all right, that's my protein powder. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> um, did you get feedback like people were performing better in athletics? Were they feel better? What, what kind of feedback were you getting other than? I got a lot of positive feedback. I got a lot of people saying that largely, you know, in the supplements world, I think a, a lot of, you know, I've always, my mindset has always been to put the best product I can put forward. But for anybody who knows that sells online, you know, you get crackpots that tell you that it's, you know, it's made of witch blood and you get all kinds, you know, you get a lot wide range of people. But the majority of people said, simply said, I just love the fact that there's no additives in it. I love the fact that it really is clean. I want to put a banana and a lump of sugar in it in my smoothie. That's great. But they said you have legitimately delivered a clean product. Yeah, and I had a lot of people saying their their digestion is better. And yeah, yeah, it, it makes you feel good. You know, at the end of the day, I got into it essentially as a mechanism potentially for a lifestyle and also a product I believed in. But then you start, and I came to learn this, and I, I'm still surprised now I would get emails two, three years later from other products. And sometimes I'm reminded that, wow, you know, I, 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 a lot of these products people, you know, they wait for every 30 days and they, they do affect the quality of their life. And I've never, you know, I've seen myself as more of a business person than a, than a formulator because I've relied on experts to do that work you know, with years of training. But it is nice when you receive compliments on a product that, that has legitimately changed a person's life. That's awesome. So tell us about the business. When did you start to know, okay, like this is going to be my, my full-time gig for a while? Did you end up adding people to, to help you out? How did that all work? Well, I never planned on building a business. I, I just thought I was launching a product. Mm. And then... Three, six months later, people would say, we love it. Have you thought about doing a product X or a product Y? 
we buy this product from such and such and there's this in it. Could you do a version? And I thought, wow, you know, as I came to learn, your customers probably already know the hardest thing is developing a customer base. And I realized I have a customer base, albeit very small, sell them something, sell them something. So I started talking to the co-packer I was working with and then other guys and girls across North America that did other products. And, and I just started putting other ones into the marketplace and it was met the same way. I mean, I, I've never prided myself on reinventing the wheel in the supplement space. It's not something I wanted to do, but I just took what I knew were the most popular products and worked with formulators and said, well, what are the complaints that they get on this and how can we make this better? So that was always my approach. You know, a 5, 10, 20% improvement on a very popular existing product for me, I thought that'll find an audience, especially if I can manage good customer service and keep the prices reasonable. That was, you know, that's really the non-secret secret source for me. Nice. So let's talk about the e-commerce of it all. So what platform are you on or what platform were you on? Uh, was it a Shopify, Magento? I sold almost exclusively on Amazon with some on Shopify. The Shopify at the end of the day came in late in the three or four years of the business. And it was really just because I was using 3PLs at that point to manage from manufacturer to Amazon. And I thought, well, why not have an outlet where I can sell some, you know, direct customer? But uh, yeah, the, I mean, the main driver has always been Amazon. So that has got to be a highly competitive space on Amazon then. Like, how did you get noticed? Like, how were how people finding you on Amazon? Because there's got to be a lot of supplements out there. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think supplement space in Amazon is probably the most congested. But I like that. I always thought, you know, it goes back to my internal mindset where I never planned on being the biggest brand in North America. I'm too old to build that type of thing, nor do I, I don't have the motivation. I've always thought, I just need their crumbs. You know, somebody said to me in television many, many years ago, where there's Coca-Cola, there's always room for a Pepsi. Now, I'm neither. You know, I'm the, I'm the Costco, Costco, Costco brand in the, in the mom and pa store around the corner. But I only need, you know, a tiny slither of that business. You know, I, I think I'm okay at marketing. I think I'm okay at telling a story around a product. For me, that was the, the things that drove me. I'm okay going into a populated space because I think I can tell a different story on a product than maybe some of the big boys can. And I think often what happens is that these large companies move so slowly you know, every decision that they make on a label goes through hundreds of people, takes months and months. I have the ability to correct and change and pivot very quickly. So I, I had no problem doing that. Yeah. Well, let's bring uh, Brian from Website Closers into the conversation here. Brian, when did you first become aware of, of Mike and his supplement company? Yeah, no, good question. So Mike was actually a referral from his brother. I had worked with his brother on a previous transaction and that was a warm introduction, but had the conversation probably about six months ago, a really good conversation, learned a bit about the business. And, you know, it seemed like a really good fit for obviously what we're doing here at Website Closers. It was a lot to like. And so it went from there. So Mike was talking about his business is, you know, just getting the crumbs and he's looking for 0.01% of the supplement space. Like, why is that interesting to, to buyers? Yeah, no, good question. I think, look, it, it does present the idea that there's more out there, right? I mean, he, he's taking a small share in a big marketplace and incremental gains there are going to you know, really add to the bottom line. 
the interesting thing about Mike's too is he just had incredible growth. It was a, a relatively new business, you know, really only a couple of years old by the time he started to take it to market, but had seen really incredible growth. It's well-branded business. He was continuing to add new products, which are all things that I think the buying community was interested in. And like you said, it's a big market. It's a crowded market. But but to Mike's point, you know, even taking some crumbs off of that big market is impactful. And so I think there's a lot of buyers out there that were interested. There's a lot of buyers that are already in the space that wanted to add some of these product lines or bring in some of the branding expertise that Mike had. And so it was a good fit. We felt right away that there was going to be a solid market for it out there. Uh, we just had to try to figure out what the best way to position it was, how to get the numbers ready to go and things like that. But uh, we knew from the start there was a good business here. There was going to be a lot of interested parties. And, and fortunately, we were, we were right. So from a, a buyer's perspective, then, is it something where they're thinking, well, shoot, this guy has already penetrated the market a little bit, seems to have some, some great branding here. Look what he's done with just one person. You know, imagine what what can be done with a, a bigger company, like a bigger team behind it. Is that is that kind of the thinking? Yeah, that's certainly part of it, no doubt. I think there there is a a story that Mike had about how he developed the business. There's a story about the branding and you know the the cleanness, like he mentioned behind it, which a lot of buyers were interested in because he already had that community that was bought into that type of product. But you're right. At the same time, he did it by himself with the help of a few VAs. And I, I do believe there's buyers out there that realize there's potential to build some scale around that, to, to add some team around that and to really take it to the next level. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that was interesting to folks. It's hard, I think, in a situation where there is an element of creativity and, you know, kind of branding expertise. It's sometimes hard to replicate that. And so I bet there are some concerns in the buying community about can they take you know, kind of Mike's branding expertise and replicate that, but couple that with just scale and manpower and woman power. And, you know, I think there's opportunity either way. So we had a great response. The market was excited. We had a number of really interested calls and a couple offers and ultimately really ended up on a, on a good deal that uh, I, I think Mike's happy with. That's really cool. Mike, when you're thinking about you know, do I want to sell this company? Were you factoring in like, well, I've got a pretty good thing going here. Am I sure that I want to, am I, do I want to get rid of this? Like what's going through your head at that point as you're, as you're starting to think about, well, maybe I want to divest from this. Yeah. For me, it was certainly not a fire sale. I mean, I was not, uh, you know, overly keen on selling when I first reached out to Brian, it was, it was more of an explorative call just to get a sense of the process. And also, you know, being a small, you know, single kind of owner business, I, you know, I'll, I'll say quite openly that my books were not up to Procter and Gamble's scratch, you know, I mean, so, so there was a bit of learning there, you know, Brian laughs modestly, modest, but he was very a, kind. A, a in, bit in of not, an understatement. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so I wanted, it was not, I wanted to get a sense of what does it look like to prepare the business for sale? And then that that and then that informed the question of well do I even want to sell I mean I, I I didn't really know what it was worth I didn't have a ballpark so that was for me I guess the first phase is, is Brian kind of holding my hand of okay this is what you've got this is what we can make it look like and this is what we think it, it, the you know the market may say to you 
And that was all very exciting and much learning for me. And as we went through the process, I think I became more and more keen to sell. My inner dialogue regarding selling was specifically, and it's not lost on me that 99% of the business was Amazon. Everybody like me has a love and hate relationship with Amazon. You know, we all hear horror stories about Amazon can, you know, pull the plug on you generally, you know, falsely, and then you bring your business back up. So there's a lot of that. I'd been in business long enough to not to really worry about the nuances of Amazon, you know, making little errors and shutting me down and coming back up. That had never happened to me. But still, there was part of me that also just thought, ah, you know, what would it look like if I just kind of cashed out of it? I'm also 52. I've got two teenage daughters. So there's a large lifestyle component for me. I mean, I, you know, it's not lost on me that, you know, in a way I kind of had the life that I already wanted in a way. I mean, I was the guy who was doing two hours on my laptop. And, but still, you're, even though you're doing two hours on your laptop, people rarely say that you are always thinking about it. It's always on your mind. You do a lot of work that's not in front of your laptop, but you do a lot of worrying too. So I thought, you know, now's the time for that. And also for me, I knew that the business was at a point where if it was either going to stay where it was or I needed to put teams in place to scale it up. And I don't like working with other people very much. You know, I don't want to manage people. I can manage products and I manage a couple of VAs, but as Brian will kindly attest, you know, I, I can be a bit of maintenance myself. So I don't want to force that onto other people. So I, I knew that, you know, at this point I got to pass the baton up and then you know, what I and my VAs are doing, they're going to separate into teams. You know, I'm doing supply chain, I'm doing graphics, I'm doing purchasing. So it needed to build up and I didn't want that. Gotcha. Brian, when buyers are looking at this company or any supplement company in, in general, like what kind of multiples are they, are they looking at? What kind of range would that be? And that's for anybody listening to this who's thinking, oh, you know what, I've got an Amazon company or I've got a supplement company. Um, maybe I want to sell one day. Yeah. What kind of multiples are we looking at here? Yeah, look, really good question. I think at Website Closures, we probably sold more supplement companies than, than, than anyone out there. And so we probably have a good feel for the supplement market. It's still a really strong market. I think there is a lot of demand. Like we've said earlier, there's a lot of competition. So I think there's probably a bit of pressure coming in that market just because of that element. But I think in Mike's deal, we were able to get, you know, over five times his trailing 12 earnings. I have to do the math. I think it might actually be even higher, maybe close to six when you look at where his trailing, certainly where you look at where his trailing 12 earnings are when we started the started the process. And he can kind of continue to grow into those numbers as we went through. You know, we, we do still see multiples on the supplement business above five. You know, again, in his case, it was probably closer to six when he added all up. And that's not necessarily normal. I mean, there's always that caveat of every deal is different. Every situation is different. The dynamics that drove his deal up that high are not always going to be present. So, like, it's not a, a one size fit all, fits all market multiple approach. So we got to really consider all the factors, whether it's you know the type of products, the branding on the products, how the team is set up, all those things weigh in. But supplements have generally been a good business. They tend to carry higher multiples. A lot of the reasons why are the repeat nature of, of the, the buyers. That is a you know, really critical factor to a lot of the buyers out there. They like to see repeat customer rates and supplements tend to carry that. You have a good product, people come back. So that gives buyers a lot of comfort and generally allows them to pay a little bit higher multiple. So 
yeah, really strong multiple for Mike. Again, it's a, a pretty good market there, uh, but every case is different and you got to just kind of weigh out each of the individual factors before really knowing where we think we'll go. Nice. So you, you say uh, five or five to six times trailing 12 earnings. Does that mean um, revenue from the previous 12 months or does that mean net from the previous 12 months? Yeah, net earnings. So we, we calculate what we call seller's discretionary earnings or SDE. Effectively, it's the earnings in the business after any discretionary take from the seller. So you know, often you see sellers with, you know, they'll put their, their car and you know, cell phone and some other things through the business. So we back those things out to a, a view of the business with the earnings that will be left for a new owner, right? So the, the profit of the business, the operations of the business before the owner takes anything out. And that's what we call SDE. And that SDE is what we use to then apply the multiple. Okay. And, and so Mike, how did you, it sounds like you had a, a couple options at least from, from buyers. How did you decide like what was the right fit? I mean, Brian has many strengths, but, but one of them are that he was very good at explaining each deal to me in a way that kind of, you know, made sense to me. I'd never gone down this track before. I'd had some experience in real estate, so I would often try to find, you know, an analogy. Can you explain this to me in a real estate way? And sometimes you could, sometimes you couldn't. But a lot of the deals uh, had a a kind of a, a, you know, an ownership hold at the end. That was a hard no for me. So I think that took a couple off the table immediately. I did not want to stick with the business. So that took a couple off the table. And it was, I think it largely came down to kind of a cash deal versus the payout structure at the end. I obviously wanted, you know, to to quicken that payout structure as much as I can. And of course, the seller does not want to do that. They want to keep some security in the form of cash and whatnot on their side. So we ended up dealing with one buyer throughout the whole thing. And they were the they were the ones that we went with in the end. You know, and frankly, a lot of it, this is a very emotional, intense process. You're on a lot of calls. Brian is on all of these calls. I would jokingly say to Brian, you know, I for me, Brian walks on water, by the way. I mean, I got the world's best business broker. I got the world's best accountant, but I also got the world's best psychologist. So, you know, he was, it, there was often nights where he was talking me off cliffs and, you know, because it's a lot of money for a little guy like me. And uh, it was, you know, there was the, 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 the deal is not just what's on paper, but it's also how it's going to affect your lifestyle. I mean, do I want to be worrying about the new owner, how they're running the business for two years when I no longer have any control, you know, and they're holding back a considerable amount of money? That's something where I've got to like the buyer. I've got to trust them. Um, and I've got to rely on Brian's insight and experience with buyers like them or them specifically. So there was a lot of nuances there that helped me make a decision towards the end. Did you end up getting a, a lot of cash up front and then there's a, a payout? Yeah, later? I mean, I, yeah, Brian's reminded me a couple of times that in the scheme of things, you know, this he, he likes to tell me this was a bit of a rare deal. And I, and I also know from other sellers and peers that I've been told that I did. You know, Brian has since told me afterwards that you pushed a hard bargain. I, and I've come to learn that I did. There was a few occasions where... Uh, I wouldn't say I was ready to walk, but I was a little cut and dry in my response. And I, I may be fortunate, more fortunate than other buyers in that, like I said earlier, you know, it was never a fire sale for me. I was kind of okay to potentially hang on to it for another year or two. So I think that put me in a, in a, in a nice negotiation position. But I, I you know, I, I, I had a sense that, that it was worth something. And I, I, I probably squeezed the sellers a little harder than other 
the the buyers other than other sellers might. Brian, any thoughts? No, look, I think that's fair. I think it's a fair description. I think um, he did have the benefit of not needing to sell. That is important, right? It, buyers certainly can tell when you're trying to get out and you're desperate and, and knowing that he didn't need to get out and he had some time and he was comfortable holding on does give him some leverage, certainly, that other sellers don't have. So that did help. And he's right. Look, I, I was surprised. He, he pushed a few times harder than I might have, but it ended up working out in his favor. And he stayed the course. And uh, look, I think he got a great deal. Uh, I think it was a really strong deal in the market we're in today and a good outcome, certainly. A lot of cash up front, a little bit of a deferred payout, but overall, really nice structure for him. I would say, in addition, there was I there was quite a few moments throughout the deal where I didn't like the look of something, but Brian would take the time to explain to me why they've structured it like this, and it made sense. And my original gut reaction to what they wanted seemed uncanny or unreasonable, but when it was explained to me, I thought, okay, now I understand it, and it became a lot more palatable for me. So that, for me, was extremely helpful. It was the the nuances in a very big contract where I could have got lost if left to my own devices. And like I say, you know, it is an emotional decision because for me, a one-man band, it's not lost on me that I feel like they're buying my baby. I mean, they're buying everything. They're buying all that branding and all of that investment. They're buying the story. They're buying everything. So I think it's probably like real estate agent where, you know, people have a tendency to value their own home more than others do because you have an, you have an emotional investment in it. So Brian was very good at allowing me to extract some areas where there could have been considerable value. And he would lead me towards, you know, Mike, you, you know, no, no, they see it through this lens. So that's why it's only worth that. That's awesome. Congratulations, both of you. Two more things, Mike, and, and I'll, I'll let you go here. One is what's next? Like what's your next next plan? Is it more e-commerce? Is it more supplements? Is it just well, I, living? I've been- I've been retired for 72 hours and I don't like it. It doesn't suit me very well. So, but yeah, I got out of it largely for a lifestyle decision, but you know, I, I think I'll go back into it. I was made to sign a two-year non-compete, which I was told is good. Typically it would be more. So, you know, I mean, I just love Brian and I'd love to work with him again. So I, we've had a couple of chats about what it would look like. And, and there's been so much experience now just through the process of dealing with Brian and selling it that I would now take into how I build a new business. For me, that was not expected. I thought a sale would be a sale, but the selling process is so valuable to me because now I, I could build a little business through the eyes of a buyer. I was never building this through the eyes of a buyer. So there's immense value for that. So yeah, Brian hasn't, hasn't seen the last of me yet, maybe to his chagrin. <laughs> well, it doesn't sound like it. Well, Mike, last question. You got a little bit of cash or you're about to get a little bit of cash in, in your bank. What's your what's your first purchase? Like, how do you treat yourself? I'm too I'm too old to go out and be the guy who's buying the Ferrari or the stupid watch. I, I got into this business because for me, money buys you freedom and it buys you choice. I mean, I'm still going to wear five dollar T-shirts. I mean, I, I, I for me, it's about, you know, maybe a little bit of real estate just to pay it off and frankly, just put the money into things that will make me other money and buy me more freedom. It's security. You know, that's why I got into this for security. I got into it for financial security. I have that to a large extent now. That's where the money's going to go. There'll be a few overpriced bottles of wine, some fancy dinners for friends, but I'll get that out of my system pretty quickly. 
<laughs> That's great. What about like going to Spain or going to, you know, somewhere and traveling? Well, the non-sexy answer is I was kind of doing that already. I mean, the ah. business was affording me that. I mean, I, you know, my biggest problem is I have nobody to do this stuff with. Every I'm, I'm telling everybody get into e-commerce, get it because you know my friends have got jobs, they go to offices, you know, and I don't want to be the guy saying I'll pay for your ticket, but I I might pay for your ticket. Come to Mexico for a week, we can do you know sit on the beach together on our laptops. But so my biggest problem is you know finding somebody else like me. <laughs> Good problem to have. Definitely. Well, congratulations, everybody. Mike, especially. That, that's awesome. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what's what's next for you and, and what uh, your next e-commerce venture will be. Yeah, thank you. And I, you know, I want to say to, to your listeners who were me, you know, six months ago that, uh, I mean, this is not prompted by anybody who's listening, but I mean, Brian, honestly, I can't tell you the, the, the psychology part of what he offered, but just I never, ever once felt a moment of pressure. I mean, and there was many times when I, I, I let him believe that I was ready to walk away. There may have been various truths in that behind the scenes, but as far as Brian was concerned, he never, ever once said anything that alluded to the idea of, Mike, I think you should take this. In fact, whenever I expressed concerns, his immediate response was always, Mike, if this isn't the deal, we'll find another one. And it's not lost on me that on a, you know, Brian stood to make a, a nice commission on this. And I, well, I have a family full of real estate agents, and I, that was the most elegant thing he could ever have done. I never once felt pressured to move in any direction that I wasn't felt comfortable. When I didn't feel comfortable, he educated me, and that's what I wanted. I just wanted education to make my own decision. I, I, I can't tell you how fantastic the experience was was, was with him. All right. That was Mike in the supplement space. Such a great story of getting just a tiny fraction of a huge market and making the most of it. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Deal Closers podcast brought to you by WebsiteClosers.com. If you like the show, be sure to rate us, write a review, press the follow button or share with your network. And of course, if you're looking for help selling your e-commerce business, be sure to visit WebsiteClosers.com. This episode was edited and produced by Earfluence. I'm Jason Gillikin, and we'll see you next time on the Deal Closers podcast.